This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Today's program, we're going to see if we can't get by with a little help from our friends. Some old and hopefully some new. This program took a bit of flack in the past week, and some of it may have been justified. Some of it, I think, is not justified. And, well, I, I guess I better explain that. After strolling in during the recording of last week's program, one of our quasi-regular contributors stepped back and asked the question, why are you doing this show? Or rather, more colorfully, he said, what you're doing is like peeing in the ocean. Although I, I don't think that what we're doing here in this world of broadcasting is a very good analogy to voiding into the sea. I do understand where he's going with all that, which is that you can complain about things, you can talk about things, but you know, things are going to go on as they do. You'd like to think that by getting data out there, you might be able to change the course of events, but you probably can't. And I know he's feeling especially sore about the fact that uh, he lives here in the same neighborhood I do. And despite the fact that we took a courageous stand against a very bad development, which is now going forward in East Sacramento, that of McVillage, that neither our efforts nor the sensible efforts of the neighborhood to try and move this in the right direction had any success in the face of what we think is probably, well, lobbying? Would that be the word for it? Uh, let's see. Purchasing influence? Would that be another word for it? Or just plain money? Would that be the word for it? So I guess my response would be, well, you, you can't win them all. But I know his counter to that would be, I'm not sure you can win any of them. And uh, I don't know, maybe in the end, he'll be right about that. But as Mr. Millen likes to point out on many occasions, uh, we should still go down swinging. So swing, we shall continue to do. And the other bit of, I think, more reasonable criticism came to us in an email from Nancy, who, referring to what we had to say about the passing of Robin Williams last week, said, very weird obit on R. Williams. Don't have to like his comedy, but why knock him? He never made you laugh? I hated all that Mork and Mindy crap, but he was a clever guy. Well, all right. You really shouldn't speak ill of the dead, I suppose. And when I owned up to that, she did reply. She did send a further note saying, well, if you can't say something nice, dot, 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 well, I guess you can't go there. That'd make for a pretty boring show. Yes, and this, I guess, would be a great place to introduce a bonus quote for today's program from Alice Roosevelt Longworth, Teddy's irrepressible daughter, long a fixture on the Washington scene. She's famous for once saying, if you can't say something nice about somebody, come over here and sit by me. Anyway, we'll have more to say about that in our third segment today. I found myself in documentary land this past week, and... Well, I guess that can wait, too. I'm tempted to talk about it right now. But no, let's, let's start this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. It was on August 21st in 1911, and perhaps the most brazen art theft of all time, Vincenzo Perugia walked into the Louvre, headed straight for the Mona Lisa, removed it from the walls, hid it beneath his clothes, and escaped. Perugia was arrested two years later, in 1913, when he attempted to retrieve a hefty ransom. The painting was unharmed. 
On August 21st in 1935, the American jazz clarinetist Benny Goodman performed at the Palomar Theater in Los Angeles. It was broadcast nationally, and the concert drew an enormous audience and is frequently credited with kicking off the swing era. And Mr. Millen, I think we should go out of this segment with some Benny Goodman, don't you? Yep. And on this date in 1959, the American flag received its 50th star when Hawaii was admitted to the Union, which was a darn good move. Just a couple years later, our current president was born there. Not, as some would like to claim, in Kenya. Speaking of Kenya, it was on August 21st in 1961 that Jomo Kenyatta, leader of the Kenyan independence movement, was released by British authorities after nearly nine years of imprisonment and detention. Kenyatta became prime minister when Kenya became independent two years later. And you know, Kenyatta's got a quote every bit as good as uh, Alice Roosevelt's. I think we better throw that one out. Looking back at the history of Kenya, Kenyatta said, this may not be exact, but it's pretty close, when the white man came, we had the land, but they had the Bible. And soon they taught us to pray. So we closed our eyes and prayed. And when we opened our eyes, they had the land and we had the Bible. On this date in 1983, and my God, I remember this like it was yesterday, Benino Aquino, leader of the Filipino opposition to the repressive Marcos regime, was gunned down by an assassin at Manila Airport. I remember this because the news reporters were talking to him as he embarked upon that flight, asking him, wasn't he worried about what might happen? The assassin would gun him down as he was disembarking from the aircraft with cameras running. The assassin was conveniently shot down by Marcos's troops immediately. All of the film of the event mysteriously disappeared. I think Ferdinand Marcos learned a thing or two from the Zapruder film. But for the international news media, the regime did thoughtfully then recreate what happened for a subsequent set of cameras. And yep, you guessed it, it was just another lone nut. And finally, on August 21st in 1986, in one of the weirdest uh, stories coming out of Africa or any place else out of the past generation, gas belching from a volcanic lake in Cameroon killed more than 1,700 people when the carbon dioxide came out over the banks went down the hills and ravines, and wiped out man and animal alike. There was a lot of speculation back at the time about people practicing with neutron bombs, etc. But no, no, carbon dioxide is heavier than nitrogen and oxygen in the rest of our atmosphere. I remember my high school teacher demonstrating this in a very nifty way back in the day by putting some dry ice in the bottom of an aquarium, letting the ice sublimate and then dropping in a lit piece of paper and letting the smoke accumulate. When you slosh the aquarium back and forth, the CO2 was visible like water. Very, very interesting. Our quote of the day comes from Wilt Chamberlain, who once said, nobody roots for Goliath. Want to add that certainly seems to be true today in America, because Goliath came from Philistine, today better known as Gaza. Our quip of the day comes from Jerry Seinfeld, who said, I don't watch food shows, and I don't go to strip clubs. I'm not interested in kind of doing something. Our joke of the day comes from David Letterman, who said a couple nights ago, President Obama had to cut his vacation short two days to go back to Washington. You know why, of course. Vice President Joe Biden had locked himself out of the White House. All right, and for our, our anecdote for today's program, we're going to do something that, well, it could be an anecdote, it could be a quote, could be a quip, could be a joke, but here's the story. 
From the piece in the New York Times, reprinted in the B, titled Robbers Swipe Saudi's Case of Cash in Heist by Dan Belevsky. The piece described how in Paris, members of the royal family had left the Hotel George V, where rooms cost about 2200 a night, traveling in a convoy led by a Mercedes minivan. One of the dozen cars contained a suitcase stuffed with about 250,000 euros, about a third of a million dollars. On the way to the airport, eight masked gunmen driving two BMWs swooped down in the convoy, forced the lead car to stop, and without firing a shot, drove away with the suitcase with cash. And I don't want to belabor this story because my interest is just in one sentence out of the coverage, which was the following. Prosecutors are investigating whether the robbery was an inside job. Well, good luck to the authorities on that one. I believe they're correct to have those suspicions. All right, our stats of the day, and we have three of them, are as follows. According to Rasmussen, 3% of Americans think the U.S. is winning the war on drugs. 84% of people disagree. And no, we don't know where they found that 3%. But of course, I think but of course I think the stats will back me up on this one. Probably 3% of Americans are mentally ill. And for that matter, perhaps 3% have high paying jobs fighting in the drug war. We're not sure how how this stacks up. Stat number 2, according to the wire.com, there are more payday lender locations in the US than Starbucks and McDonald's combined. I think people have trouble managing their money. Stat number 3, Among people aged 55 to 64, one in five has no money saved for retirement. That's according to a new study by the Federal Reserve. About 45% of those questions said they intend to rely completely on Social Security to cover their expenses after retirement. That's according to the Washington Post. This is not a good strategy. I think I better back into that comment I made earlier about documentaries because there was a wonderful documentary on this very subject on Nova earlier this week addressing America's retirement crisis. They focused at one point on a study done by a man named Robert Hilton Smith, which uh, examined how all these retirement funds being managed by this entity or that uh, tend to take a little piece of the action for the privilege of having your money managed by them. And as Hilton Smith explained, when you take a couple percent out of, say, a 7% gain you're making, that 2% difference between 5% and 7% means over the course of your uh, investment slash retirement time period, you wind up actually losing two-thirds of your dough. Well, two-thirds of what you should have gained, let's put it that way. They talked a bit about how index funds, where you just go out and buy something that with a no-brainer move, just buys a piece of what's out there on the stock market. So you're not buying and selling this or that mutual fund going back and forth. The index funds apparently do better. <laughs> he said the jury was very much in on this. If you have some retirement income, put an index fund because the guys that are managing your fund for you are more beholden to the people that are selling these funds than they are to you. In fact, it turns out, according to how things are regulated and what the qualifications of the people that manage these funds are, something like 85% of them, as it currently stands, don't have to act in your best interests. And so guess what? They don't. 
They act for their own best interests in harvesting the kickback they get from the mutual funds. Anyway, I think everyone uh, hearing this voice uh, right now probably should go and watch that Nova special. I intend to watch it again. Its title was The Retirement Gamble, and if I said it was Nova, I misspoke. It's a frontline, and I think you ought to check that out, especially if you're interested in retiring someday with money. Oh, and if you're one of those boneheads that thinks you're going to retire in Social Security, whoa, 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 give that one another thought. Anyway, preparing for this show, I was sitting around on Tuesday night and caught that wonderful front line. Also, a great piece on how Mount Rushmore came to be. I had no idea of how much went into that from, from uh, Guts and Borglum. Remarkable tale. Also, a special by Dick Cavett on Watergate. It turns out that while Watergate was going on, Dick Cavett took an interest in it and interviewed lots of the participants. And uh, that made for a fascinating documentary as well. We talked on this program a couple years back about how we need to get Dick Cavett on, and boy, do we. We were talking about the column that he used to write in the New York Times and having him on to talk about that. But uh, now we got we got two reasons to get him on. We're, we're, we're going to work on this. And in a final item, plugging documentaries in general, I can't resist saying a few good things about one I saw titled The Tasmanian Devil, which was all about uh, not the marsupial predator, but in fact, Errol Flynn, who was something of a predator of a different kind. Flynn was a remarkable figure. For my money, his version of Robin Hood was the best ever. But it turns out he was a pretty damn good writer. And uh, I know I can recommend my wicked, wicked ways to you, having enjoyed that some years back. And he does freely admit to what a rogue, rascal, and scamp he was throughout most of his life. Actor David Niven and he were roommates for a while, back in their Hollywood days. Niven summed him up by saying, You can count on Errol Flynn. He'll always let you down. We're eating up time here. I think for our our good news item in today's program, we're just going to recommend some of these great documentaries out there for your viewing pleasure and move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was apparently a good week last week for honesty in government with the news that Sacramento Tea Party operative and local fixer Sal Russo and associates have now been formally accused of fraudulently funneling millions of dollars worth of donations intended for U.S. soldiers to a major Tea Party leader and his firm. Sacramento-based Move America Forward directed more than $2.3 million, or 30% of the charity's overall expenditures to Sal Russo. For its part, Move America Forward reportedly claimed a non-existent relationship with Walter Reed National Military Center, where wounded soldiers are treated, and they use photos from other charities and the internet to falsely claim that it was delivering care packages to our troops. The charity rating group Charity Navigator gave the organization zero stars for its high administrative expenses and lack of transparency. We will follow that one with some glee. And it was a bad week last week for sleeping more soundly in your bed knowing that our intelligence agencies are out there to protect us with the news that the U.S. apparently paid Latin Americans to stir up dissent in Cuba while pretending to be involved in health and civic programs. 
This was revealed by the AP. Apparently back in 2009, the U.S. Agency for International Development, often accused by foreign nations of being a nest of spies, did hire a contractor to recruit young people from Costa Rica, Peru, and Venezuela to travel to Cuba and try to identify and encourage potential anti-regime activists. We got to say, we're no fans of the Cuban regime, but that, that seems like a waste of time, doesn't it? By the way, the word is, from one of these multiple documentaries I was watching recently, that uh, apparently the rest of the Caribbean is scared, really scared about what's going to happen when the Castro brothers die and Cuba becomes a more normal nation, because they anticipate American tourism flocking to the long-neglected island and ignoring the rest of the Caribbean. I tell you what, I'll bet money that's exactly what's going to happen. Continuing with the good, the bad, and the ugly, it was an ugly week last week for staying out on the lam. A North Carolina man who had spent nine months on the run from police was finally caught when he won a police-sponsored donut-eating contest. Yes, apparently Bradley Hardison, age 24, gobbled down eight donuts in two minutes at an event in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, defeating several local cops. An officer, Max Robeson, saw a report of the win in a local paper the next day and recognized Hardison as a suspect in two 2013 break-ins. He arrested him at his mom's house. Robeson noted that after the arrest, I did congratulate him. He can eat a lot of donuts. And this might be a good point to hear from our good pal, America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about one of the most awkward meetings since Cain attended Abel's funeral. Talking about Barack Obama and the woman rummaging through his closet trying on his presidential pants, Hillary Clinton. The two of them ran into each other at a lawn party at a golf club in Martha's Vineyard the other day. And what could be more working man than that? Lawn party, golf club, Martha's Vineyard. Think we've triangulated the 1% exacta here. Imagine everybody had pastel sweaters tied around their necks as well, munching on canapes. The source of the ungainliness was Ms. Clinton herself, who, in an interview with the Atlantic magazine, described our Syrian policy as a disaster, then said, don't do stupid stuff is not an organizing principle, obviously referring to some past politician whose name is synonymous with shrub, but throwing the current president under the same wheels of that big bus. This is not new news. Most of America thinks that Obama's foreign policy is a lot like Malaysian Air frequent flyer miles. Sure, they both exist on paper, but nobody's really all that interested. A spokesperson said that Hillary looked forward to hugging it out when she and the chief executive met. Yeah, uh-huh. Can see that approaching embrace. To hug or not to hug. Probably as graceful as tumbling dumpsters. Problem is, Hillary and Barack are the past and the future of the Democratic Party. It's like one of those velvet handcuff relationships you see so much in San Francisco these days, where neither person can afford to move up because both incomes are necessary to cover the rent. She needs him to seamlessly insert her into his vast fundraising machine, and he needs her to make sure his legacy is not wiped out in a Tea Party tsunami. Strange bedfellows indeed. Who needs a hug? For Radio Parallax, I'm Wilders.
It is our great privilege to bring you Mr. Durst on a regular basis. We find his work admirable. Another guy whose work we find admirable is Tony Wheeler, the founder of Lonely Planet. We talked um, several months back about how we would try to get him on the show. And uh, in an effort to secure him, I went to go hear him talk in San Jose on Monday. An excellent talk. I'll tell you more about in the segment to follow. He was unfortunately flying back to Australia the very next day. But I do have his card. I'm going to get a hold of him, and hopefully we're going to talk about, uh, well, we will try and talk a bit about Lonely Planet, which he's no longer formally a part of, and about what he's doing these days, which is travel around and writing books like Badlands and Darklands, about going to the axis of evil and other out-of-the-way places, and then describing what he found. He does point out that these places are inevitably reported on as being worse than they are, but you still do have to exercise caution in some areas. Anyway, we can talk a little bit more about that in the segment to come, but it's probably time for a break. Let's take one. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. we got lots more. Stick around. (laughs) 